0: And welcome to the Beervana podcast. This is Patrick Emerson, I'm a professor at Oregon State University. And with me, of course, as always, is Jeff Allworth. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Uh, how you doing? I'm all right. We're trying something new here. Uh, you're sounding really good today. Yeah. <laughs> you want to tell them what's going on?
1: Well, we're in a new studio, which is not one of our living rooms.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to miss the furnace, the UPS guy delivering your beer swag. The dog. The dog, the construction next door. Yeah. It's sad. We've lost a lot.
1: We are in <laughs> a disclosable location in the Falcon Arts Building in Portland, Oregon at the studios of X-Ray FM, where
0: we hope to be recording this podcast going forward. That's right, uh, and it'll uh, uh, end up being uh, broadcast on air as well as your normal podcast uh, locations, uh, iTunes, and uh, there's going to be a podcast site at X Ray as well. So that's right. We're pretty we're excited about this.
1: For regular listeners, it's uh, don't expect anything except improved audio quality and maybe some cleaned up tracks with fewer of our hemming and hawing. Uh, but otherwise, uh, it should be the same old podcast you've. Come to know and love. Yeah, the most important thing is I'm no longer
0: producing, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's good for everybody. <laughs> okay, yeah. I should, I should, I should introduce you properly because just this past week. You were on the marquee at Powell's Books, world-famous bookstore in Portland, Oregon. It's the uh, big show. It is the big show, promoting your new book, The Widmer Way. Congratulations, Jeff.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Uh, soon we will do a, a podcast devoted to that new book. But That's uh, right.
1: We hope maybe to have a special guest for that.
0: Yeah, we're, we're working on it. So available now, The Widmer Way. Find it in all your uh, great local independent bookstores, or if you must, go online and, and uh, support Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, uh, uh, while you're buying that book you can pick up copies of The Secrets of the Master Brewers The Beer Bible and uh, others
1: And I will add one little tiny plug for Powell's uh, after I left after this the reading I signed some books and they may still have some signed copies available so Oh, by now, no way could No, I mean it. It's possible they won't <laughs> I
0: didn't sign that many but uh, uh, check but, it out if you're interested But, you know if you if you write us a comment uh or send us a question i bet you can finagle a, a signed copy out of jeff oh farming me out already are uh, you yeah i'm uh, prostituting you out yeah trying to get some more you traffic are, you're that always way. looking at that
1: that angle you're uh you think like an economist i like that
0: all right jeff t- tweets uh and blogs at birvana uh i tweet at biranomics so you can find us and we'll get into our show today but I, of course, am a professor at Oregon State University, meaning that I just had my spring break. Nice. What What did you do, Patrick, for your spring break? <laughs> and I haven't told you, well, I, see, I have a special gift for you that I brought back from my spring break trip to Jamaica. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's been a, uh, a something I, someplace I wanted to go ever since uh, you and I were little puny undergrads together, uh, and I was um, obsessed with uh, reggae music. Yeah. So I went to Jamaica,
1: very cool yeah you actually wouldn't you had just arrived sent me a a text with a photo of yourself uh, like your feet uh, on a balcony overlooking uh turquoise waters and said guess where I am
0: yeah this is actually'm I'm, I'm kind of uh, my general approach to vacationing is more the backpacker kind of approach but this was a special occasion for me and my wife so we did the resort option and yes so you saw me uh, lounging on my Porch, uh, looking over turquoise waters. You got some, uh, but I brought you a gift. All right, well let's let's uh, let's see what you brought me. And here we go. It, uh, it's is... it's legal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Turns out that cannabis is not only legal in Oregon, but legal in Jamaica now as well. <laughs> wow. But this is not that. <laughs> uh-huh. This is your very own. See, straight from the source, Red Stripe Lager Beer.
1: That is an extraordinary rarity. Where would I ever find one? You of never these? find Red Stripe.
0: Well, what you'd get is the red stripe that they send here, which you know for the for the North American market, they just they send you the crap. It's the true. stuff at the bottom of the the bottom of the tank, right? <laughs> no, this is the stuff from the top of the tank, uh, fresh,
1: fresh from the source, man. All right, very nice. The truth is, uh, beers actually uh, can taste different depending on where you drink them, and so we're going to do a little taste test, and you. <laughs> Uh, Tell us, did you have this fine lager beer when you
0: were in Jamaica? I had this lager beer many, many times in Jamaica. In fact, I think we tweeted about it, and I described how wonderful Red Stripe is when you're sitting on the beach. That's true. I tried
1: to get you to go to the the uh, brewery, and you didn't do that, did you?
0: Turns out the brewery is on the entire other side of the island, and you're right. I did not go yeah well, we see what kind of commitment you have to the podcast.
1: That's all right <laughs> it
0: would have been it would have been a uh, an interesting trip had I thought about it ahead of time yeah although um I think the red stripe brewery I imagine is probably not too different than lots of the other big breweries have been to, except that it's in Jamaica. that's right it does make all the difference it
1: does and in and this beer so yeah, paint us a word picture. you're on the beach or you're near the beach or you're somewhere in, in a tropical paradise and you're drinking this beer what What was your experience of drinking this beer? Yeah,
0: so you're on the beach. The sounds of the ocean in your ears, hot, humid air uh, with a nice cooling breeze. Uh, so you're a little hot, but you're relaxed uh, and you're thirsty. And so you crack open a red stripe. It's light. It's easy drinking. It, it smells of the Caribbean. Very Ca- nice. Or Caribbean, I think, actually, is how I'm supposed to say it now. Oh, really? I have to have to change. Well, if people were saying Caribbean there, uh, I always said Caribbean. Right. I don't know why. I don't... Now you that, know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's, so.
1: that's news I can use, too. But the truth is,
0: when you're on the beach, you don't want a double IPA. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. definitely don't want a double <laughs> IPA. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. When it's hot, it's the tropics, it's humid, it's thick air. Uh, yeah. You're not looking for some big, heavy, especially heavy in alcohol, but right. also heavy in flavor, too. Yeah. You even want something... light beers have more flavor impact in weather like that. That's right. So this actually, uh, you know, uh, in, in uh, all honesty, tasted fantastic. All right, and uh, we're about to find out whether it changes when you bring it to wet. <laughs> cold. <laughs> hey, oh, that's actually one thing we should talk about because we always look out the window and talk it's about true. the weather. There's no window. This is, yeah, we're going to have to just remember that. We're in it. It's, co- it's kind of cold, rainy, typical Oregon spring. Today, So we're going to see whether Red Stripe translates.
1: We do have actually a window in the studio, but it looks at the producer, Will. Yeah, will. Which is so much more (laughs) professional and cool. Uh, (laughs) It's just as beautiful as looking out the window in uh, beautiful Portland.
0: Yeah, and seeing your UPS driver. All right.
1: So it is is cold and rainy here, and it is not typically uh, the kind of weather where we would drink a light Caribbean, Caribbean lager. But we're going to give it a shot and see what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. So, we're, But, but we'll, first, we're going to pour it into glasses using our new high-tech microphones and
0: see if we can get ultra, that's, ultra that's, audio. That's right. We were talking about beer, porn, beer audio porn before. Just you wait. That's right. All right. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Oh. <laughs> oh, that sounded good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I brought cans back, by the way. That's what I had. It, but I also think they travel better. So here we go. Oh. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. It was a vigorous You can wor- even hear the popping of the bubbles. Oh, let's stop and listen to the bubbles. Yeah. All right. That's one. See if you can do uh, yeah, You're okay at it. Not so good. <clears throat> well, so as you're pouring out, I'm going to finish my mic. mic. Y- you know, so it's either. a typical light logger. Uh, I don't know that I can really tell you how distinctive this is to any other typical light logger that you get. Yeah. Um, uh, Uh, All I can say is that when you're on the beach in Jamaica, it's manna from heaven. Right. I've I've spilled a little beer on the studio table. We're not going to be invited back, Jeff. That's right. (laughs) Careful now. It was a question we asked. Is it okay if we... uh... So in all seriousness, this is something we've talked about a lot, which is the context in which you consume beer matters a ton, and the right beer for someone who's in April and Portland, Oregon is not necessarily the right beer for someone who's April in Miami Beach, Florida, or wherever. That's right. <clears throat> and so this is, why don't you describe what you see? Well, it's actually got a, a, a relatively uh, rich golden color. Uh, yeah. It's not um,
1: It's not a, a pale straw like many of the light lagers you find in America. No. And It's got kind
0: of, I mean, it's a decent aroma. It's got a little malt in the... And in the highlighted by some malt there. The hops are kind of hay-like. Yeah. Alright, here we go. Here we go. Let's I'm, go in. I'm I'm visualizing the beach in Jamaica right now. I'm visualizing raining Portland to try mm. to get the contrasting view. You know, I have to say, it's a it's a it's a pretty decent macro light lager. Yeah. It's got some character. It's
1: definitely mm-hmm. uh, not flavorless. Yeah. It's um it's fairly it's on the sweet side. Yes, so it is. it's kind of it's sweeter and fuller, which I suppose makes it even taste give it a bigger flavor impact when you're on the beach.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, And this is a country of strong flavors. If you think jerk, Mm. jerk seasonings. uh, So you want something that stands up a little bit to your jerk chicken this is also a place where the
1: guinness brewing company had great success with uh foreign extra stout that's right which is kind of amazing because i can't i've never been able to imagine who could who would drink a foreign extra stout on the beach in jamaica but apparently people did did you see any of it there
0: i did not actually and i was looking for it Uh, interesting yeah i saw red stripe exclusively Hmm. uh, which was interesting Uh, almost nothing but red stripe well now we know it was very hard to find anything but in fact i Failed to find anything, but not that I sort of ventured. No too, other beers too far at all, just red. Stripe. No other beers at all, hmm. but I, but as I say, I hadn't ventured too far and wide. I, I probably had the resort beer, which was exclusively Red Stripe. Oh well, no, sorry, there was Red Stripe Light. Oh, which <laughs> apparently was terrible. I never. Where's tried my it. Red Stripe Light? <laughs> how am I going to? Uh, yeah, I'm going to watch brewery. It? <laughs> uh, but then I we, we went out a few times to local um, like Jerk Chicken Shack and stuff, and yeah, it's just Red Stripe, Red Stripe, Red Stripe. Very you want, cool. You want beer? You drink Red Stripe. Well, okay. what,
1: you know, you don't need more so, than one.
0: So I brought a little of my vacation back to you. You're welcome. Uh, now I'm back in, in Portland. And by the way, my, my homecoming was so fantastic that yesterday, trying to get to Oregon State to work, the road was flooded because we've had too much rain.
1: We've had a deluge. It's, <laughs> it's a soggy, classic soggy Portland uh, And I got
0: completely here. stuck in uh, gridlock traffic in um, lovely uh, Albany, Oregon in which I had to pull over and cancel my class uh, via email <laughs> because I couldn't get to... Many parts of the country countries. under a deep freeze, though, mm. so we have to... That's right, I'm not complaining. Know, we have to complain. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about what we're gonna talk about today. In the period since our last podcast, a lot of important news is broken. So in today's episode, we're gonna go through a number of these different news stories and see how they inform one another. Uh, by happy coincidence, the Craft Brewers Conference is happening this week, and economist Bert Watson has provided some statistics that will help put all this into context. That's Bert Watson. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to turn our news segment into our show. Right. Yeah. So there has been a lot going on. There uh, has. Uh, maybe we could start with the most local and then sort of broaden out. It seemed like the really big news to me, but that's because it was local. That's how local I think news it's big is. news. I think yeah. it's big news, and it's and we can put it in context. I think it's big news for, for craft beer in the U.S., so yeah. go. T- totally. All right. So this news comes from beautiful Eugene, Oregon, south of here. Ninkasi
1: yep. Brewing announced that it had sold a majority share to a newly created venture called Legacy Breweries, which is headed by former Yakima chief CEO Don Bryant. Yakima Chief being the uh, hops. Hops. Broker. Broker, yeah. yeah. They, I think they may have also affiliated grower. growers, yeah. and I don't know how that all works, but um, big big company. So the idea f- is for Legacy to acquire other similar-sized breweries and create a collective in the manner of Canarchy, uh, which is a, a collective that includes Oscar Blues, Cigar City, Deep Ellum, uh, Utah Brewers Cooperative, Perrin Brewing, and Three Weavers. Uh, and also Artisanal Brewing Ventures, uh, which is Victory Brewing, Southern Tier, and Six Point. And I think you could also throw in the Omegang Group there with mm-hmm. uh, the Duval-Omegang-Firestone Walker uh, Boulevard. Right. So we're starting to see these collectives yeah. being formed, and, and it looks like Ninkasi is leading the charge to create a, the newest one.
0: So give us some context about Ninkasi. For people who aren't super familiar, what are they, how big, their, what is their reach? Yeah, Ninkasi is a regional brewery
1: in... Eugene, and they make about 100,000 barrels a year, which makes them, I think, the- Pretty big. Yeah, pretty big. I think the 35th largest brewery, uh, craft brewery in the United States, probably like 45th overall. Right. They distribute mostly in the Northwest, so they're, you know, Oregon and Washington account for most of their sales, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, So, So
1: they're not pushed into California too much. Oregon, I think, is over half their sales. Yeah.
0: They, I think they are in California.
1: Um, well, I probably should have looked that up before we started podcasting. Huh? <laughs> well, nice. that's,
0: yeah, people. We want to get people to think we're too professional. <laughs>
1: that's that's true. Just because we have this
0: fancy studio doesn't mean that I'm <laughs> any better at this. So to put it into cultural context, let's just say that in the what late '90s when when did they really sort of set the world on fire? In Kasi, yeah. They were formed in 2006. I mean, uh, sorry, late late noughties. Yep. Yes. Uh, my apologies. <laughs> uh, okay, just to make sure we're not too professional, I'll be a decade off. Uh, That's right. So in the late noughties... Uh, what, what's a decade between 50, right? <laughs> In the late 90s they, they were really kind of one of the big it brewers in Oregon. Yeah, and they had this wonderful situation in
1: which they had a large college town which did not have a local brewery, and they just occupied Eugene, where the University of Oregon is, your cross-state rival not yes. really even cross-state 20-minute rival drive yeah. and uh, that allowed them to grow very rapidly and they 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 grew they, they saw remarkable growth over the first uh, six or eight years of their the company and they expanded hugely and they built this big new beautiful brewery with yeah. uh, all these facilities uh, which ha- and it has a capacity for way more than 100,000 barrels but then things got very tight and they're they're still growing but they're growing incrementally like 2 3% a year, not uh,
0: thir- 20 or 30%. Yeah, year. and I think it's probably pretty safe to suggest that their empire was built on a really great IPA at the time, Total Domination. Yeah, a series of IPAs because they also
1: had uh, their double IPA, which um, Tricera Hops. Tricera Hops, and um, they had uh, a red beer, uh, Believer, which then became another different red beer, and a, a popular spring beer called Spring Rain, and a yeah. uh, popular. Winter beer called Slayer, so they had they were about hops
0: and bit, yeah, big big robust hoppy yeah. beers. And subsequently, they've shown a lot of diversity too. Like they make uh, what I think is really wonderful Hellas. Yeah. Hel- well, you correct me on a previous pod. You think it should be pronounced Hell's bells because I'll call it Hellas bells. Uh, anyway, you get the pun. All right. Um, <laughs> either way, it comes across. So so they're. Uh, uh, brewery that's known for quality, known for big IPAs, um, I think maybe got stuck a little bit in the, in relying on a, there's always this tension between do we update our, the lineup that sells so heavily or do we just keep selling the same thing? Do do, do customers want the same thing again and again?
1: That's right. And I think it, I I don't have statistics on this, but I'm guessing that, Total Domination is still probably the best selling IPA in the Northwest, or at least in Oregon. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it yeah. still sells a lot of beer. And, it, you know, so you can't walk away from that. So it's, yeah. it's a hugely popular beer.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, how many brewers, have we talked about this, where you try to figure out like Hopworks has uh, rejiggered their IPA and, right. and, and sells it as their same brand IPA? Or do you keep the old IPA and then try to introduce a new IPA? Or do you do like what the Widmers do and then try about six different IPAs? All year and yeah it's it's tough yeah and so Ninkasi has decided to
1: do this entirely different thing
0: right so let's talk about what their objective is here so you come together with a group of other similarly sized breweries or at least other craft breweries probably not similarly sized I suppose uh, what does that buy you why is this a in, in, in your guess well I think one of the big things is
1: breweries now realize that the further away from their footprint, their home footprint they get, the weaker they are. Yep. And so it's difficult to go super regional or national now. Mm-hmm. So if you can find like breweries that are strong in other markets and combine with them, then you can start covering a, a bigger part of the, the country uh, with strength rather okay. than weak. So weaker. you're thinking
0: about distribution. So I can get Ninkazi beers maybe into local markets because I have a local partner?
1: No. Well, and, and, and then at, I think Distribution is the other thing that I would say. Oh, sorry. So so,
0: so I misunderstood your first part then.
1: Well, I was thinking that breweries now realize that uh, it's better to pay close attention to the local market and retrench there and try to grow the local market incrementally. Yes. Uh, The further away you get, the harder it is to sell beer. Right. And people are actually pulling away from other markets. So you add
0: different breweries that are strong in those other markets. I see. So you retrench locally and then you just have a different brand, a different partner brewer who's retrenching locally there too and you're not you're not uh, stepping on each other's toes right Uh, okay but then you mentioned distribution
1: i think that's a really big one um you you form distribution you you form partnerships with other breweries and then you can share distribution and then that does allow you access to other markets um it it kind of greases the skids for uh those those very complex relationships that you Mm -hmm. have with your distribution partners and retailers and 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 they have good relation those those distribution partners have good relationships with the retailers in you know whatever market
0: you have yeah to be i in. wonder if that's sort of part of the idea that they're going to come with a package of beers now to retailers instead of just ninkazi now it's ninkazi and i don't know do they do we know what other breweries are gonna be a part of this no we don't okay um i don't i don't
1: know if my my guess is there's probably some some chat it seems like you would not launch this without
0: having some idea but, um, <laughs> they were not making any announcement uh, but this is an outside so so this is Don Bryant's outside group i yeah uh, i imagine that, that that this is not the only brewery he's talked to yeah he um he surely has connections to other breweries as a hop dealer so yeah so let's think about some of the economics of brewing i'm not really sure what this saw well, obviously the one we talk about and at at risk of sounding Uh, repetitive. repetitive. I mean, there's nothing else you can say, which is economies of scale are huge. And, uh, it's hard to compete as a small brewer because your costs are so high. Now, this doesn't really solve that issue because you're still going to have your local breweries brewing local beer unless there's some idea that you consolidate in the brewing side. Yeah. I, I don't know.
1: But I mean, you're still talking about, um, uh, uh, like let's say you, you form a partnership with a Midwest and an East coast brewery. Yeah. It wouldn't really make sense to do no. that. No. No,
0: it's too heavy to ship. It's, it's too expensive.
1: Yeah. And, and then then Kossy Brewery is big, but it's not like, uh, AB big. It's not uh, right. six million barrel big. It's a, right. uh, it's a big brewery, but that's compared to, you know, Hopworks, like you said.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm struggling to sort of understand the economics of this arrangement, that how this improves
1: yeah, I do wonder, something that you said on a Beeronomics podcast mm-hmm. came into my mind. You Must said, be brilliant. Yeah, I think well, it was brilliant. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't anything I'd thought of. <laughs> but but breweries are, once you get at a certain size, a brewery has all these different uh, moving parts like marketing uh, yeah. and sales. That's true. And so you can actually find some uh, efficiencies there.
0: Yeah, and even things like HR, accounting, things like that, I right. suppose, if you're going to, uh, that could all be centralized so there should be cost savings there sure i mean I'd, yeah it'll be interesting to know at some point maybe we can get uh nikos or jamie yeah i'd like that on the pod so we can ask them directly what uh what the benefits are and they can give us some so it's interesting i mean these are you know ninkazi is kind of a typical brewery it's grown pretty big it's now of a certain age and a certain size uh facing the headwinds that everybody's facing yep uh and this is an approach now to be interesting it's it certainly um, passes the sniff test among customers who really dislike the equity stake or the buyouts that the big breweries are doing, like yeah. the 10-barrel kind of situation.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. These collectives seem to get no the negative press. right? Uh, and it'll be interesting to see, based on the way this thing is structured, whether uh, they'll Uh, continue to be called independent by the Brewers Association definition or not that will be one of those probably water like an acid test of uh, their credibility
0: so Uh, let's cut to Bart Watson for a second just to sort of put this into bigger context yeah as you mentioned the Craft Brewers Conference is happening this week the Craft Brewers uh, no excuse me the uh, what's the name of the Brewers Association. The, the Brewers Association. I was about to say craft Brewers association. I'm like, no, wait a minute. Uh, the the Brewers Association um, uh, employs Bart as their in-house economist, and so he keeps track of uh, brewing statistics. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in a few of his stats, uh, the craft beer segment grew four uh, percent. This is over the past year. These are 2018 stats. 2018 yes. stats. So, in 2018, craft beer segment grew four percent. So that's still like in a lot of businesses, that would be really healthy growth. Well, and for uh, any industry,
1: four percent growth would be considered robust. Is that true? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you have, if the U.S. car industry grew by four percent, I think we they'd be really bragging about that all over the world. Right? Yeah, if you
0: think about it, the U.S. economy in it if it, if it's done really well, may have grown three mm-hmm. percent in 2018. I suspect it probably rezi- revised downward to something like two point eight. But that means that you know this is an industry that's outgrowing, that's growing faster than. Than sort of national average, so that's uh, that's good. I, mean, I, I realize that this isn't um, exactly apples to apples comparison, but you, but that puts the context. It's now thirteen percent of the overall beer market. Yeah, which is you know that's a huge difference from a decade ago. And mm-hmm. um, so in, in sort of some big objective numbers, craft beer is doing really well. Mm-hmm. Here's another number which is astounding: uh, in 2018, 1,049 breweries opened. Right. So uh, what that shows you is competition is still raging. Right. So that 4% is now shared among uh, over 7,000 breweries, that growth. So it it is actually worth, worth noting. Yeah. And so some of that competitive pressure is showing up now. 219 breweries closed in 2018. Right. And that's- 219, that's a lot. It is, and it's uh,
1: we we can go back sometime and look at the, the numbers, but they're really ticking up. It's starting to be. I mean, it's still five to
0: one, so that's good. But yeah. but two hundred and nineteen is a lot of breweries. Yeah, yeah. And we in a, in, a, in the last pod, I can't keep track now. We talked about a couple of local closures mm-hmm. uh, here. Three thousand one hundred ninety four breweries opened in the past three years. So we're seeing we're seeing just a whole lot of new new breweries um, still entering the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still an attractive place. There's still money being spent capital being uh, directed towards this this market, uh, still seen as a, as, a, as a healthy place, but it's no longer a place devoid of, of competition. Right. Let's go to the second news story and then Let's... get to some of these other stats, which I think
1: yep. will reflect on these two first news stories. Yeah, that sounds good.
0: In a similar kind of arrangement, but one involving a large player, Colorado's Avery Brewing sold a 40% stake to Spanish beer company Mahu. I don't even know how you're supposed yeah, to. I'm not sure about that either. Uh, Mahu San Miguel last week. Mahu already owned 30% of Avery as well as 30% of Founders Brewing.
1: Mm-hmm. And now they uh, own three nearly three quarters, two thirds, I guess.
0: Okay, yeah, I was about to say. So that's 40 plus 30%. So it's yeah. now a 70% stake yeah. uh, in Avery.
1: Wow. Yeah, and... Avery is another one of those. It's it's older than Nkasi. It's um, maybe twenty years old or something. You're a you're a former Coloradan. Right? Yeah, what I believe. You?
0: Yeah, Avery was around when I was there, and I was yeah. there from 2000, 2006. Yeah.
1: So more consolidation, and I think uh, if we look at Bart's next two stats, I think we're seeing some of the reasons why these larger, older breweries are joining together. Yeah, had the wonderful thing he he aggregated different uh, age brackets Mm -hmm. age groups of breweries and those that are three years old or younger grew by 872,000 barrels they accounted for 872,000 barrels of growth in 2018 yeah but if they were older than that they only accounted for 105,000 barrels of growth so most of the growth happening in the uh, most of that four percent is happening among these little small younger breweries yeah that's Uh, an amazing stat it is an amazing stat and then just to drive that home microbreweries that's 15,000 barrels or less that's according to their their uh division uh, right. th- those grew 16% in volu- volume yeah. uh, brew pubs did well they also grew at 13% but growth was flat for regional breweries and i think that's kind of the the main point there is these bigger breweries have got to figure some way to keep moving forward because yeah. they're kind of they're they're running aground.
0: yeah the life cycle effect of breweries i think is is more and more present yeah, yeah, that's another
1: theory of yours. Is the restaurant is the brewery as restaurant
0: model? And yeah, I well, particularly smaller breweries too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think we talked about this. You know, building a restaurant out with a you know with a real industrial kitchen, industrial maybe that's the wrong word, but you know, commercial kitchen that's the word I'm looking yep. for is expensive. I mean, it's not that much much cheaper or more expensive to to build a brewery out. Uh, in fact, I think it's probably, depending on the size, relatively equivalent if you're building a, a new commercial kitchen from scratch. So uh, if you think about the nature of the two industries, it's that there's a lot of similarities in terms of initial capital outlay, in terms of building a brand in a market, and then just in terms of being sort of uh, having that novelty effect and then maintaining that interest uh, over time. The newest, latest. Everybody wants it. Everyone wants the newest, latest. And so um, if you think about a really mature market like Portland, I mean, we're always interested in the new breweries that open, and we're interested in going check them out. Oh, we should go check out this brewery. And then pretty soon you realize, you know, I haven't been to brewery XYZ in, you know, five years. Right. Yeah, totally. And so that, you know, that novelty effect is a little different, I think, on the store shelf. But still, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up beers that I haven't tried before because I'm interested. Yeah. Um and I think that's the novel and, and that's a that totally sucks. If you're a business person, that I having to chase that novelty aspect is really difficult.
1: Yeah. It's totally it's totally difficult for the bigger breweries too, because they have let's go to the Nikasi example, uh total domination still sells really well here, but I'm sure it's a declining SKU. Yeah. And they've got to figure out a way to find the next total domination that will be a big rainmaker or You know, have a whole bunch of little uh, beers that they release across the year that augment that that growth. And either way, it's a you know trying to come up with the next total domination. Of course, everybody wants to do that, but it's really hard to pull off. And then just you know working your ass off and coming up with all those you know one offs that sell enough to make up the market is challenging.
0: All right, so here's a new strategy. Now I tried out a strategy on you a while ago, which was if you're gonna build a new brewery across the country, right? So if you're like uh, Deschutes, we talked about right. building a place in Virginia. Uh, would you want the new brewery to be a Deschutes brewery or why not name it something else? So here's my new strategy. Yeah. What if I start a brewery and in about two, three years completely rebrand it?
1: Well, what if you were Ninkasi, for example? Like Ninkasi would probably considered that, but then what, what happens with Yeah, you're with too all big.
0: That? That, at that point, you're too big because you can't get enough initial sales to justify the size of your brewery but you could maybe start a brand with a new brand so you're thinking Deschutes should reopen should should go
1: ahead with the Virginia project but instead of launching Deschutes East they launch like Virginia what's
0: uh, Cavalier Brewing uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they might get into some trademark issues there but yes uh, so that was that was my strategy when we were talking about these these big regional breweries, Opening up second brewery, my thought was, you know, why not start? But now, I'm ha- now I now have a new thought, which is, sure, make it a shoots brewery, but start a new brand alongside. I wonder. It,
1: I mean, Deschutes knows a lot about beer. They know a lot about uh, the the be- about making beer, about selling beer, and about have they thought through these issues? Is that what you're about to say? No, I was just going to oh. say that um, if they were launching a brewery in Virginia, they mm-hmm. would have a kind of wealth of experience that. A very few startups would have so they would have an, sure. an instant advantage. So I'm sure I'm, I'm riffing on it I'm, I'm you've sold me man. I think they should Cavalier brewing they should totally do it with Cavalier
0: Brewing. Yeah, well what you can do is you can start brewing Deschutes beer and You know that would be sort of the contract part of what you do and so Deschutes can show up at, at a, a lower price point in the East Coast But then you also have Cavalier brewing that you start building at the same time and then maybe over time Cavalier brewing is the big thing and so shoots is the side project which one of us is going to build the shoots for this great thinking we're doing here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shut up. We got we we to. We got to. Contact us. It's uh, Jeff and Patrick Consulting. That's right. Uh, LLC. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so let's uh, let's
1: move on. Let's I'll, move on. Why don't you
0: do the next one? This is uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, this one is interesting, and um, I think shows a different dimension of this whole dynamic. So Stone Brewing announced last week that it was planning to transfer its three-year-old brewery to Britain's brew dog in uh, Berlin and that was a 30 million dollar project
0: and a huge investment that uh, stone made in the European market yeah so three years ago stone made a big splash we're gonna we're gonna open up stone Berlin right uh, and we're gonna show Europe how to brew here <laughs> It was. Uh, Sorry, I, I'm, I'm making an editorial comment there accidentally.
1: Well, there was a little bit of that flavor, right? I mean, they they actually announced it in 2014. It didn't open until 2016. But right. when they announced it in 2014, uh, Greg Cook, the owner of the company, co-owner of the company, came out with um, uh, a forklift with a giant rock, or one could say a stone, big stone, a big yes. stone, <laughs> and smashed uh, a whole bunch of bottles, which. It turns out I had a. I blogged on this and had an exchange with Greg later. It turns out those were actually supposed to be. them they were all mass market loggers, and he right. was trying to like send them, and no, like um like uh. uh they were international oh like so, like big mass market not yeah. like german big no brands. they were they were international bit burger or... he said he even had found uh, an old english 800 so there's even no <laughs> somehow that was available in the german market i don't know
0: why yeah, okay <laughs> um but man but he he wasted an old english 800 i know right <sighs> and it was probably fresh i'm Sacrifice, telling you man. uh anyway the
1: point is uh, I think that that signal that he sent when he did that was maybe not the same thing he meant to send. I don't know that everyone understood that those were international mass-market lagers. Uh, they looked yeah. a lot like German beers to the right. to the layman, and certainly to me, and that's what I wrote in my, my initial uh, blog post, and he corrected me on it. But the point is there was a lot of a lot of uh, craft beer hubris uh, yes. that was uh, at a foot when that project got launched.
0: I mean, it's probably exactly the same hubris and attitude that built stone right absolutely it's <laughs> so. exactly the blueprint that has been super successful in the
1: united states right and um you know i mean one of their beers is arrogant bastard they're yeah. they're not known for their understated uh, approach to <laughs> selling beer
0: no but germany is a country of tradition uh yeah berlin absolutely the most least conservative the most like cosmopolitan so it's, it's kind of the right city to go to but it's a it's a country that that loves and respects maybe its tradition. Yeah, and he was, uh, and the... so to come in with an entirely different attitude, where we love and respect German beer, and we want to learn, and we're going to introduce you to some of the stuff we're doing. You know, last year when you were in Germany, you went to Berlin, didn't you? I did.
1: You didn't go to Stone though. <laughs> no, was it open then? Maybe it was open then. The thing is, and this is what uh, one of the things that came up. It was two uh, years ago. That may actually, oh, so it might no. not have been. No, it was. It opened in twenty sixteen. So okay. In any case, uh, one of the things that came up when all of this happened is it's actually not in Berlin. It's about uh, twenty minutes outside of Berlin, I oh, think. Oh, okay. And so it's a little bit challenging to get to. Yeah. So that's one issue. The other issue is it was selling for they uh, they were selling beer. They're selling you know their standard line of IPAs and stuff uh-huh. uh, at the at the Stone in Berlin for really expensive prices, like
0: seven euros or something. Yeah, because beer is not cheap. Beer, I mean, beer is not expensive in.
1: And Germany. that's the thing. They were competing against local beer that was probably selling for half the price. Yeah. I mean, uh, especially
0: so. like the bottled beer you buy in the store is is really inexpensive. And,
1: and that was Greg's, one of his big things is he felt like beer should be treated- Expensive. It should, <laughs> should be more expensive. It's it's underpriced. Yeah. So he, he tried to raise, and he, in the United States, craft brewers have done exactly that. They've raised the price point.
0: But, that's a really good point. I mean, the, the amount of money that people regularly pay for beer and think is normal now yeah. is Tremendously different than what you'd think is normal in the 1970s or 80s when Absolutely. you were out buying beer, right? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know that uh, Germany's there. Berlin, by the way, is fabulous. I got
1: it. It was one place I didn't go when I did my my trip, yeah. but um, I'm about to start on uh, the second edition of the Beer Bible. Newsflash, yeah. and I'm
0: headed to congratulations. By the way, I hear that that's a signed, sealed deal now. It's a signed, sealed deal. Excellent.
1: And I'm going to go back to Europe, and I think I'm going to try... I was going to not go to Germany again,
0: but I think <sighs> I'm going to go to Berlin. I think i got to put Berlin on that stop. We were so. just talking pre-pod that Germany's a place that I'm just jonesing to go back. I, I don't know why exactly, but just I adored Germany, actually. I didn't expect... I think probably because for some reason I didn't expect to like it as much as yeah, I, I did. I because I've spent a lot too. of time... I've spent a lot of time, obviously, in the UK because my family, uh, but I've also spent a lot of time in France. Um, and other parts of northern Europe, and very little time in Germany. But
1: and Tony me, Patrick, I, what's
0: agree. the attitude of the UK,
1: um, Britons, and, and French uh, for the Germans? Is it is it really positive? <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: I, I would say there's just a little bit of history. There. Is it inflected <laughs> by uh, perhaps the past events? <laughs> there's a little history. Uh, I loved it, and then one of the nice things about going, we went from uh, we took a, the pit stop in Prague, uh, famously didn't go to wherever it is that. And you know, I'll foreverly be fleku fleku, famously be, be scarred forever on your mind.
1: Everybody remember, when you're in Prague, don't make the mistake Patrick made. Go to <laughs> <Ooh>, U
0: <Flecku. laughs> Uh That just gives me excuse to go back. It's true. Uh, but going from Munich, which is a very traditional, a uh, very you know conservative in that sense, like a mm-hmm. very culture uh, steeped in culture city, and then going to Berlin, which is just been entirely because of history, has been entirely unhinged from like deep culture, and now is very right. cosmopolitan and, and is sort of very free and and super international. It's a uh, yeah, it's a great back-to-back. contrast. I mean, I love both cities right. uh, uh, tremendously for for exactly those reasons. But it's a really fun yeah. Get to Germany, folks. Drink a lot of beer, uh, not stone though. Apparently, you can now. It's going to be brew-dog, brewdog, so that's going to be and super Brewdog interesting. by the way is just the Scottish Stone. They were, one,
1: I think, 100% inspired by Stone and probably a few other breweries in America, but they yeah. have a, they really cribbed entirely from the Stone playbook of, we're going to be really outrageous yeah. and, and uh, in your face. And it,
0: So I wonder what's going to be different. I know. Uh, I think they have a bigger brand in Europe, I a mean, bigger knowledge and awareness of of, of Europe and in Europe of their brand. So That's right. It probably is a better staging area for a brand that has yeah. greater salience.
1: In, yeah. And they might already
0: have like market inroads in those areas, and so this might be a distributing is the brewery big enough to distribute? Is that part of the plan? Packaging, or is it just a. Yeah, on site? my understanding
1: is that it's a pretty big brewery, and the, the, the idea for Stone was that it would it would be the place that I could brew fresh beer for Europe there, and that was the idea. So, yeah. It was not a brew. Pub. I mean, I don't think the idea was that it was just going to be a brew pub in Berlin. That's uh, $30 million.
0: Okay, so this was Stone in Berlin. It failed, so I'm going to. Uh, it's the obvious time to talk about Schadenfreude. Okay. It's uh, <laughs> appropriate, the German term that means uh, yeah. pleasure in each other and other people's failings. So uh, what do you think the sentiment is among American craft brewers? Because as I understand it, uh, Greg Koch isn't maybe the most uh, beloved character in American craft beer. His aggressive approach
1: to selling craft beer and, and the Stone brand has ruffled feathers for sure. I think we can say that without getting too much and, and the sort of arrogant... Right. The, that the I know more stands. than, yeah. Okay. But, um, but on the other hand, I think there's a lot of affinity for anybody who yeah. has had the success he's had and tried the stuff that he's done. And I think people probably admire, I think Stone is certainly one of the most admired brands in, in craft brewing yeah. uh, among not just customers but other yeah. brewers. Um,
0: I have to say, I admire the uh, the whole endeavor. I do too. Like I think that was a cool idea. Maybe the execution was wrong. It was... It was shockingly bold when <laughs> yeah. he announced that. I thought this is crazy. It sort That's... of it sort of made sense to me. It was the right city. Yeah, I, totally. I definitely think that done right, and maybe BrewDog uh, will have more success. But I definitely think that there's there's a lot of potential there.
1: It's gonna be fascinating to see what BrewDog does with it. And yeah. I'm 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 gonna talk to people who got to see Stone and and hopefully I'll get to see the BrewDog version. And and we'll see what they change up and what they leave the same. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. All right. Carrying on? Yes. Uh, I think you're up. Okay. The last item is just kind of a informational thing, a, a score, a scorecard keeper. The Beer Institute announced that for the first time, beer makes up less than half the volume of alcohol sold in the United States. And just to give you kind of a, a marker of how far it's fallen, in 2000 it controlled 58% of the market. Right. So And now it's less than half. Uh, I think it's it's not very much below 50%. But The context of all these market trends we've been talking about are in the larger trends of alcohol uh, where wine- Shifting taste. Shifting taste, and also, not just shifting taste, but the entire market of alcohol is also shrinking. There are fewer and fewer people drinking, so beer is losing like on on a couple of scores there. It's losing from the perspective
0: of- Relative to wine and liquor, but also losing absolutely and it's losing relatively. There you go. Thank you. Yes. Well done. You're welcome. (laughs) So here's this is actually you know speaking of brewing strategy, um, this is another getting back to Bart's stats, Um, and we can we can talk about the overall decline. But um, Bart reports that tap rooms grew forty percent in two thousand eighteen and counted for a quarter of all growth. Yeah. And this is fascinating because you know the most direct way. Um, maybe direct is the wrong word, but basically the the way to the most efficient way, I guess, mm-hmm. to to get your beer to sell your beer is directly to the customer. Is not having to sustain a whole kitchen restaurant operation complicated, right? And so the taproom model is this a sustainable model going forward? I mean, this is it's working now. I think it's totally sustainable. I think it's a wonderful
1: model, and I I do think that many of the tap rooms. Will begin to slowly fade, phase in food Mm -hmm. when they can, where it's legal to do that. Right, you know, adding both a brewery and a kitchen is really expensive. It's like double the cost,
0: and so a lot of and probably much more than that, just in terms of administrative you need a whole lot more staff That's to, run right. a, to run a restaurant than you do. You, you need and, tap the, rooms. and the profit margin on a restaurant is far, far uh, lower. So yeah.
1: there's much ri- uh, greater risk yeah. there. You've got all these people and you may actually lose money on it. So it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people no. to start with the restaurant, right. but you can add that in later. And that continues to uh, bring more money into the, the, the yeah. company because actually, even if you uh, don't make a lot of money on the food, people drink more beer and when you're selling it, we've talked about this in the past. When you're not putting it into the distribution market uh-huh. network, you're making a profit. Uh, uh, you're you're getting all three ends of the profit. You're getting the wholesale, retail, and production revenue off that pint of beer that you're selling in your tap room. So it makes a lot of sense in yeah. terms of
0: it does. Although this, although there's just an inherent constraint on the volume that you're going to be able to push out of a tap room. That's totally true, and I think that's why
1: you can add a kitchen, and that'll increase it a little bit Um, you know you can there are good breweries uh, good brew pubs can sell in in major cities can sell uh, 2000 to 3000 barrels of beer out of a out of a one uh, you know if it's a big restaurant uh, a year so that's quite a bit of volume and and that's really good profit margin so if you if you then start Doing some distribution on top of that, you've got a, you've built a really nice base. Uh, you know, we're not talking about Ninkasi and a, thou, a hundred thousand barrels, but um, as an effective business model, I think it totally makes sense. I think a lot of people will say, I can make a reasonable living doing this this taproom model if I do it well, and and that it gives me room for some growth in the in the next five years, uh, up to a stable point where I'm making yeah. a nice income.
0: Yeah, and I mean we, you know, we have some local bias here just because the model and. In Portland, has definitely been the brew pub model. Yeah, uh, that was just a the template was set early on, and it's almost exclusively what you get. We're seeing a little bit more of the tap room model starting to creep in, but we went to Seattle and it was all tap rooms essentially. <laughs> and
1: one thing I do wonder about the tap room model is most of the the uh, tap rooms that are generating all this growth are the in that less than three year category yeah. of, of novelty so what so it's is a way to
0: get started but
1: yeah what what is a what is a tap room uh, that's been open for a decade look like is it still generating yeah. excitement are people still going in there where they can't get food sometimes not in great parts of town yeah. so i think so okay I, so, there's an asterisk so here. here's
0: my life cycle of the brewery you know this is my 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 ever-evolving theory but here's my here's my life cycle of the brewery theory which is early on you have novelty you've got a price point that uh, you can sustain a high price point because mm-hmm. of the novelty. After a while, you know, uh, wandering eyes, start looking at competitors, and and, uh, and so now you've got other competitive pressures. Your novelty, the novelty premium, a coined a term, the, no- the novelty premium Ooh, I like is, uh, is disappearing, and so now you've got to start working on other fundamentals like your baseline price which mm-hmm. is cost right uh and and maybe worrying about variety and other things like that and so all of a sudden it becomes you know once that novelty premium wears off then you're really stuck in a super competitive hyper competitive environment where you need to keep coming up with new beers and you need to come and you need to be able to sell them for cheap yeah yeah I think so, the, right. so the so the the tap room model probably is a good way to get started but should probably Never be an end game for you know in your business plan. Right, you, know, you shouldn't tap, tap you shouldn't room is a good stop there. Yeah, tap room is a good runway, but you got to take off and get somewhere else. I think that's totally right. So let's let's define uh, the novelty premium. It's how much okay. The novelty premium is how much extra a customer is willing to pay for your beer as opposed to a equivalent existing craft beer because of uh, the novelty aspect because it's new and they want to try something different. You know what's going on the blog. Uh, what a post
1: called the novelty premium. Oh, yeah, that's genius. Oh, that's yeah. that's so good. Uh, yeah. How, S- how send me
0: my royalty check, please.
1: Yeah, and we'll have to we'll have to speculate about how the the novel. There's like a half life on the novelty premium. It's like in
0: year two, it's down a little bit. Year three, it's down a little bit. And then- if I could ever get access to data, but you know, scanner data is so annoying because um, people don't. It's it's a closely held industry thing. You can pay a lot of money for it, and they'll sell it to you. But uh, that'd be something you could totally research. By the way. Yeah, uh, it, uh, right. you could if actually. Add the data. You yeah, could. you could do this. You, this would be a, an actual paper. You Maybe could, we should
1: talk to Bart Watson. Hey, man, we got this idea, the novelty premium. Oh, he's the man. Go.
0: Let's do it. Yeah. Th- a three-person uh, academic paper on novelty premium. Well, or at least two. I can just do the blog post after <laughs> you guys do the work. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. So let's, uh, what else do we have to talk about? Oh, yeah, so uh, regional breweries, I don't think this surprises anyone because we talked about this a lot, but growth is flat. Yep. Uh, speaking of... Regional breweries. We've already talked about this a couple of times, but I still am amazed by the the nine lives that Sierra Nevada has, and now they're just doing great with the Hazy Little Thing. Well, that's the
1: thing. I mean, this is a brewery that has continued to explore uh, really new and interesting things to do. Not just beer, but I, I, you know, the 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 way that they were they came up with the hop cannon early on. Mm-hmm. They had that whole freeze drying the wet hops thing. Uh, for well, that was that was Sierra Nevada. I thought that was oh uh, no, that's Sierra that Nevada. Buddy at Breakside. No, no, no. Oh well, they did that, but Sierra Nevada, maybe not freeze dried, but they somehow captured the essence of the extracted the essence of fresh hops, which right. they're able to use throughout the year somehow. Yeah. I don't know. It was in some beer with an elephant on it. You know what I'm talking about? No. Uh, so they did that. <laughs> they had. Did I say the the beer camp, which was an an incredible way of uh, interacting with other relevant breweries and that is awesome. Yeah, acting as a mentor, but also getting the you know the intra, the having the, the fans of those people reminded of what an important and innovative brewery uh, Sierra Nevada remained. Yeah, and then you know they continued to release exceptional quality beer all the time, and and eventually one of them, Hazy Little Thing became popular which is not surprising when your your batting average on quality of beer is so high so I mean yeah I and, think the, I, and
0: that's the but, here, but here's the thing and this is exactly the novelty premium right they don't have the novelty premium anymore maybe a little bit for a, some kind of if they release some kind of great sorry I
1: said hot I said, I said cannon I meant torpedo torpedo obviously it's the name of the brewery. Beer. So, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Well,
0: yeah. Then, then you, you said camp, and I thought, okay. Well, maybe he meant camp when he said cannon. No, there torpedo. is the hop cannon. That, I meant the, the hop torpedo. torpedo yeah. Sorry. There's all these different <laughs> <laughs> techniques.
1: Anyway, I'm I had to okay. correct that before we got emails. And by God, you should send us emails and correct me on things like that.
0: Yeah, that's right. You should. That's email Jeff. Make you, sure we're clear about we, that. We
1: can have a new feature. What Jeff got wrong, <laughs> and we'll correct the record.
0: Oh no, that would spend half. the, half the, half the, half the, half the next pod, we'd be <laughs> all about it's true. What we got wrong. The worst thing Jeff said. How's that? Oh, they're going to limit it. But here's the thing so so the, the one thing Sierra Nevada has is scale and and yeah. they can if they can come up with a legitimate very good hazy IPA which they have yeah. I think it's I I think it's one of the better ones out I there I totally agree but they can get it to to market at a price point that's hyper competitive and they can put it in a national market overnight they put it in a national market overnight and I drink a lot of hazy little thing because I always can find it it's always gonna be fresh it's always gonna be good and it's always competitively priced right yeah I can get a sixer of hazy little thing for ten bucks or I can buy you know one 22 ounce bottle of a local hazy IPA for like 550 right yeah so there you go so that's you know it's it's uh for new brewers out there, it's that you know there is a life cycle of your business that's gonna it's gonna go through, and you got to prepare for the next step. I guess um, it's hard though because you know, like Nikazi is the one that's that grew rapidly. That's trying it was trying very aggressively to grow fast and get and and challenge that price point. That was always their business strategy, which is to come in at a very competitive price. Right, point. Right, not not undercutting the market, not underselling it, but just being at the
1: bottom. They were selling premium beer at a at an average price, and they were they were they were their their gamble was people will buy Mormon and at this price point.
0: That's right, and so that'll that'll fuel growth and uh, lower costs. Right, and it worked for a long time. So, there's
1: Bart had one more stat, which I think is
0: relative uh, relevant to the thing we're talking about here,
1: which is that for the off-premise case prices so that is you know grocery store beer Mm -hmm. uh, grew at 1.6 percent in 2018 which was the lowest in years that the that the 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 prices had uh, the the smallest the most modest increase in prices so you know these big breweries that we've been talking about that are in trouble they're not growing
0: in volume and they're not growing in price and so it's becoming tighter on both sides well that's interesting you know because of the 1,049 new brewers, or the 3,190 new breweries in last year, or the 3,194 breweries in the last three years, uh, these are small, probably, yeah. uh, meaning their costs aren't that low, uh, and so that shows you the squeeze that's happening. Right, you, you're coming in as a new brewery, and you've got a lot of good beers to compete with. You can't just come in at a. You, you've got a novelty premium, maybe for a short time. But uh, we can see that 1.6% suggests that that novelty premium is not big or or not lasting or both. Right.
1: It's certainly. It's, I. I would bet that the novelty premium is more evanescent in those grocery store beers too.
0: Yeah. Uh, than it is at the tap room. I bet the tap room. That's true. Seems yeah. fresher, longer. That's true. So. Yeah. The thing about the grocery store shelves is you've got, you know, you have the marketplace in front of you. You've got a whole. Uh, array array uh, array of beers and brands of the same beer and prices of each and that that immediately the more information the more uh, the more competitive it is right so that's a very competitive marketplace a tap room is much less so right yeah even a pub or a bar uh, you know a a, a non brewery pub or bar that has you know what six ten twelve tap handles Totally. a lot, a lot less competitive as well so uh okay all right have we have we uh we solved all the problems we solved all the problems we've solved all the problems. we've we've, <laughs> uh, we've, we've, we've uh, expertly analyzed
1: the entire industry you have come up with uh, uh, I think uh, an effective new uh, economics term to apply to the industry which is not, not a bad day's work, my friend. All right. Well, that's good. That's, I, I, I tip my hat to you.
0: <laughs> let's, uh, let's hit the beach and have a red stripe. All right. Uh, okay. So, uh, a few words. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast, of course. Uh, thanks very much for X-Ray FM for being our new host. Uh, it's exciting to be here. It is indeed. Uh, we'd like to encourage you to continue to find us. Uh, if you don't uh, listen to us on air, then please find us uh, in podcast form. The X-Ray podcast site should be up soon, but you can also find us on iTunes in the normal spot yes we haven't changed any of that so don't
1: change your dial if you are used to getting us in a certain place just keep finding us there right and
0: we want your feedback tell us how we sound now uh whether it's an improvement or do you miss the old uh what's the <laughs> appropriate a crappy, term. Terrible. crappy. <laughs> uh yeah <Low> grade. Crap. <laughs> the normal crap audio um, <laughs> uh either way you should uh, let us know by emailing jeff at birvanablog.com, or you can visit Visit the Biravana blog Facebook page. Facebook still a thing? I, as far as I know. All right. I- Good Old geezers are still hanging out there, apparently. So. Yeah, <laughs> certainly not my kids. Yeah, uh, we'd love to hear from but, you. You know,
1: we don't encourage that anyway, so, so that's all right.
0: Yeah. So send us your questions, your comments, your suggestions. Uh, uh, now that we've got all this like fancy studio, we can do new things. So that, that's no right, and this
1: we're uh, I think going to be forced to be a little bit more uh, routine in our uh, appearances. Uh, yeah, so. this is this is a good
0: point. Yeah, we're going to try and become a regular show now, uh, uh, and so stay tuned for our. Our, our standard release time and date. Indeed. And
1: that means all you commenters and questioners and uh, mouthy people like us should contact us so we can start getting you into the conversation. So please do.
0: All right. Sounds good. So I'd uh, love to hear from you. Uh, Jeff blogs at the Birvana blog and tweets at, at Birvana. And Patrick tweets at Biranomics. That's right. Uh, and we still have a little bit of Red Stripe left. So, uh, Yamon, yeah, let's... Let's cheers. I guess it's just cheers. the Jamaicans say anything cool? Oh, that's they probably do, but I didn't discover. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. Well <laughs> you failed me again. All right. All right. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.